Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. We know you can't get enough of your favorite flavors. Luckily, Kroger Free Pickup makes it easy to grab what you need without any surprise fees. Whether it's extra buns for the barbecue or those chips you just can't quit, start your cart with the Kroger app. Kroger, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply, subject to availability. It's the big $10 sale, so mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even 10 for $10 with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, dear friends. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show, where we share innovative thoughts with today's leading scientific and esoteric experts, supporting the path to unity and enlightenment. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring explorations in consciousness, psychedelic research. After the drug frenzy and purported resulting mental instability of the 60s and 70s, marijuana and psychedelics were regarded with a jaundiced eye. Their possible benefits overlooked. Now, after the turn of the century, we find ourselves faced with an opioid epidemic. Some sources say that in 2019, over 20 million Americans will suffer from addiction to prescription or illicit opioids. That makes the 60s look like a walk in the park. On the forefront of options to the massive overuse of opioids is medical marijuana. Once outlawed in the U.S., its many benefits have since been researched, and now marijuana is currently legal in 29 states. Presently, in addition to marijuana, scientists are taking another look at psilocybin. 
Human usage of psilocybin mushrooms predates recorded history. In Mesoamerica, these mushrooms had long been consumed in spiritual and divination ceremonies. Psilocybin is clearly a consciousness-altering substance with many benefits and many disadvantages. It's darn hard to evolve when one is in chronic pain. It's equally difficult to evolve when in the throes of addiction. Do psychedelics offer a viable alternative to more addictive substances? Can they aid evolution of consciousness, or do they induce delusion? Is revisiting the usefulness of psychedelics providing viable alternatives, or reopening a can of worms that's best left firmly sealed? With us this hour to explore this controversial topic is Anthony P. Bossis, a clinical psychologist and clinical assistant professor of psychiatry at NYU School of Medicine. Anthony is currently F, uh, is conducting FDA-approved psychedelic research investigating the effects of psilocybin. His website, med.nyu.edu, slash faculty, slash Anthony, dash P, dash bosses. Anthony, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. How did you become interested in, in psychedelic research? So it goes back a bit... Um, in my 20s, like so many of us, um, I was interested in meditation and had begun a meditation practice, uh, as many did back then with uh, TM, uh, 30, 40 years ago, uh, longer than that, actually. Um, and was also interested uh, in my early life um, in mysticism and comparative religion. Uh, and I came across this incredible body of literature from the 50s and the 60s when I was young about um, the investigation of psychedelics as a way to activate the mystical experience, and I could, I'll define that in, in a moment or two. Um, and that just struck me. It was, it was life-changing, in a sense, coming across this body of literature that talked about this incredible mystical state that seems to be at the core of all major religions. Um, and there was a body of literature showing that when these medicines were appropriately given to uh, humans, it could activate that experience. Uh, and that just triggered an entire lifelong interest in psychedelics and comparative mysticism. I also have a long-standing interest in death and dying, and those three topics came together in the research we did with applying psilocybin generated mystical experience to people who had cancer and who were at the end of life. So um, it goes back a ways. I have to say it's a lifelong journey uh, studying these these medicines, and more importantly, the, the um, the effects they generate, and I often try to remember to say that they're not drug studies per se, it's about these incredible states of awareness that humans seem wired for, this mystical state. Um, and these medicines can reliably activate it in the right set setting, and they also have occurred naturally throughout history. Um, uh, so why did, why did you choose psilocybin for your study? That's a great question. And many people ask us. So there, there, aren't, there aren't many options. Um, there's psilocybin, um, the primary molecule in the, in the 60s that was used in treating alcoholism and end-of-life anxiety was, was LSD uh, and another drug called DPT. Um, so a few main reasons. One, LSD is a much longer half-life. The, uh, the experience is much longer. It could be up to 10 hours or more. So it's, it's a longer experience to manage for the, for the person having that experience. And importantly also was the kind of cultural baggage around LSD. It has a lot of negative connotations from the 60s, and um, we wanted to kind of move away from that. Um, conversely, psilocybin, which, and also LSD is synthetic. It's, it's discovered by a human being, Albert Hoffman, in the 1930s. Psilocybin is a natural compound found in many species of mushrooms, and remarkably, it generates this incredible mystical experience. It's a much shorter time frame, so our studies, which, which we'll talk about today, um, entail the person taking the psilocybin, having about a five, four to six hour um, you know, powerful ultra state of consciousness, but returning to normal consciousness within you know, eight hours. So by five o'clock that evening, they, went, they left to go home back in ordinary awareness, which was incredible. LSD would be a much longer experience. Um, uh, on top of that, the adverse effects are less. It's a safe medicine, been used throughout human history, uh, including ancient times. So it really was a great fit. Um, and now, so what, as you if, know... If you don't mind okay. telling us, what exactly is psilocybin? 
So psilocybin is the active ingredient, the active molecule, the compound within mushrooms, certain kinds of mushrooms. There are many species of mushrooms that are called uh, psychedelic or hallucinogenic mushrooms that have this compound that this, the street name people know as magic mushrooms. Um, and of course, these were very popularized in the 1960s. Um, so this compound has been synthesized from the mushroom. And so we don't use the mushroom itself, but a synthesized version of psilocybin for our research. And, and now, as you know, we're looking at a number of studies at NYU, Hopkins, and, and UCLA um, showing efficacy and safety with psilocybin and end-of-life anxiety and, and a lot of other applications. And more importantly, that we'll talk about today, its implications for consciousness. But so a safe medicine, naturally found, um, and that's why we're using it. Why did you synthesize it, and how did you synthesize it? Doesn't that take out so, the checks and balances that are naturally occurring in the plant? So apparently it doesn't. People have asked that. Um, it would be hard to titrate the dose you wanted for a person using the actual mushroom. So we use uh, a dose that's tailored to their weight. Um, and with, with mushrooms, you can't guarantee how many, how much active psilocybin is in any one mushroom. So um, laboratories, uh, FDA-approved laboratories, have synthesized psilocybin from it, and the experiences are identical to the kind uh, that you would have with the actual mushroom itself. You know, some people have asked, as they have with marijuana, well, is, is, it, uh, is there more ingredients and more of a combination that nature has within the actual fungi versus the synthesized version? And um, we haven't seen that. The, the, the results we're having are incredible and, and mirror um, exactly the kind people have with, with uh, the actual fungi, the mushroom. What's the role of psychedelics throughout human history? I mean, it's not new. <laughs> no, that, that's the incredible part, and that's the exciting part of, of all this. Um, it's not new. And, you know, throughout time, including ancient Greece, at the Lucidian Mysteries, uh, there's much scholarly report that uh, a liquid they drank called Gikion was used. Uh, people like Plato and uh, many others from those times would go to these uh, Eleusis, this, this um, sacred site, and drink the medicine and have these experiences. Um, in India, we have uh, many references to the, in the Rig Veda to Soma and other psychedelic um, compounds. Uh, you mentioned in your introduction, um, uh, in South America. Um, and so there's an incredible history of psychedelics or psychedelic compounds being used throughout human history. And, and there's been questions, you know, what, when were these medicines used? How were they used? Clearly they were used within indigenous cultures for rituals and spiritual healing. Um, and we also know that, and I hope we get into this today at some point, that at the foundation of you know, the major religions is this mystical experience. Um, well, let's so get to that now. That's fascinating. Say again, I'm sorry? I said, let's get to that now. That sounds fascinating. Let's get to this. Let, let me define it. I, I don't want to go too far into the show without defining for the, for the listener. What, what, what do we say when we mean mystical experience? So it's an important term, um, and it's actually been found to be the mediating and kind of um, predictor of efficacy in our research. In other words, the more robust or powerful the mystical experience was when taking psilocybin in our end-of-life study, our cancer study, the, more, the greater decrease in depression, anxiety, demoralization, hopelessness, and a host of factors around the end of life, which, as you know, is a profoundly troubling and can be a very um, a challenging experience. Uh, so the mystical experience, again, not a new concept, been around for millennia. Um, at the foundation of every religion is this mystic core, as Aldous Huxley um, wonderfully spoke about it. He called it the perennial philosophy, this kind of common ground of all major spiritual lineages. And for our research, uh, this is defined by only a few criteria, um, and this is what people experience when on the medicine. One is a sense of unity a sense of everything being interconnected, all people and things being interconnected. Um, the noetic quality, which is a, coin, a term coined by William James, the sense that one is encountering ultimate reality. And again, people report this following the research. Um, sacredness, which is experiences of awe, humility, holiness, wonder, a deeply felt positive mood, such as joy, peace, or love, ineffability, which is the inability to describe it in language. Most people will say, I can't describe this. It just transcends my capacity to describe this. Well, we're going to have uh, but, to get more into Mysticore on another, uh, on the other side of a break here. Okay, Anthony great. and I will return shortly, so don't go away. 
You're listening to the Mission Evolution Radio Show, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by shaman worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. SIMULTV.com. Welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show, MissionEvolution.org. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. Our guest this hour is Anthony P. Bossis, clinical psychologist and clinical assistant professor of psychiatry at NYU School of Medicine. His website, med.nyu.edu slash faculty slash Anthony dash P dash Bossis. Anthony, we were getting into um, the mystical core of all religions, and I had a, a question on that. We're, t- we're talking about, of course, the um, using mushrooms and psychedelics to access that, that state of mysticism. But aren't there a lot of practices that do it through um, meditative practices or through shamanic journey practices that do not involve drugs? There are, and, that, and that's an important, a very important uh, thing to, to mention, that these are not unique to psychedelics uh, or psychedelic compounds. These have been happening throughout human history, usually occurring naturally. So when we see stories and literature um, on mystics and saints and everyday people reporting these experiences, they're typically also occurring naturally. Now, there was a recent Pew survey done um, that showed 49% of Americans report having this mystical or peak experience. So it's really, you know, it's part of who we are. It does seem to be a... A uh, birthright of ours, almost. It's, it's we're wired for meaning. I want to, by the way, just add one more um, feature that I, I didn't get to say regarding what the mystical experience is before the break, um, and I, I find it to be one of the most important features that people talk about is the sense of transcendence. Uh, one of the core features of the mystical experience in our research, including the research in the 1960s, is the sense of transcending the body. Remarkably, transcending past, present, and future, transcending time-space as we know it, which of course sounds remarkable, and, and it is. Um, and, and that experience gives gives the person a very different perspective on self, on who they are, on what we are. Uh, I like to describe it as drawing, pulling the lens back on their experience and finding themselves 
in a much larger panoramic field. Um, for the person who's dying of cancer um, in our research and whose body is beginning to fail, the, the insight uh, and the experience that I'm not my body, I'm not solely my body, I'm something more enduring, uh, possibly something outside biology. Um, is a profound gift, and they report that has been a recalibrating factor in how they died, that I may not be this body, I'm something more. Um, and that's an incredible insight. So that sense of transcendence, again, found throughout history, uh, is a remarkable feature. You know, that's one of the many problems. I, I um, aid people at the time of death. And one of the many problems in our society, A, is their you know, psychopomp or the helping the dead to cross is virtually lost in our society, and secondly is the identification with the material world and our involvement in it, our, our bodies. That's who we are. We identify with that. How does this, um, how do you use the uh, psychedelic substance in end of life, and what have you seen? So that's been, of course, our, our major publication a few years ago that was, they received a lot of news. Um, and it was a study um, in concert with Johns Hopkins. We did this at NYU, looking at people with cancer, uh, many who are at the end of life. Uh, and, the, and the main criteria for being in this study was you had to have a significant amount of anxiety or depression um, secondary to your diagnosis. Um, and just you know, to say this briefly, and I, I know your listeners know this, we, we don't die well. Um, we don't do well in America. We don't do well in much of the world. We don't talk about it. Uh, it's the final taboo. Uh, things are improving. Uh, the last 10, 15, 20 years has been an increase in hospice palliative care and, and, and death doulas and death cafes and, and literature. So we're getting better, but it's really not, hasn't been addressed. Um, it's amazing so, to me because it's something all of us do at one point or another, right? There you go. We're all going out this way, um, even though at times we think we're not, right? It's, you know, Ernest Becker's great book, The Denial of Death. I mean, there's this sense, you know, we don't die, and we're all going out. Um, and yet as humans, we don't, we don't speak about it. Um, and, you know, as, as you know, a part of spiritual teaching is often to keep that in consciousness, you know, remind ourselves um, uh, of death, not as some morbid rumination, but as a way to live fully that if we know this is fleeting, which it is, uh, that companion of, of death throughout our life, being aware of it, um, allows us to live more fully and, and is an ingredient of many uh, spiritual practices. Um, so in terms of the study, uh, the persons in the study took one dose of psilocybin, only one dose. Again, speaking to the fact that it's not about the medicine only, but about the experience and the memory from the experience. They had this six-hour journey with psilocybin. Um, they lay in a couch in a very comfortable living room-like setting at the hospital. They wear eye shades and headphones to encourage going within to the experience. So the eye shades will shut out, you know, consensus reality around them. Uh, and the earphones play a six-hour track of, you know, primarily classical-type music to provide a bit of a backdrop. And they're encouraged to move into the experience. Um, and the main guideline we give them is to trust the experience, trust consciousness, trust their awareness, and to move into whatever's unfolding. Um, so we, we found that the results were that depression, anxiety, hopelessness, demoralization, and other you know, expressions of suffering at the end of life were, were dramatically reduced, uh, never seen before in the history of medicine. Um, and things like spiritual you know, quality of life, spiritual quality of life, um, it was enhanced. Um, and regarding your question, many of the people spoke about those changes because of that insight that they're more than the body. Um, that this experience kind of opened the doors, so to speak, and we could say Huxley's doors of perception, um, into this and that's, that's Yeah, you know, that's that's what I would also like to ask you. It's like we talk about consciousness, and okay, so if we're doing religious experiences or we're doing shamanic journeys or we're doing meditations, we can alter our consciousness, uh, transcend the body, and enter this unified state. What's different between that and where we go when we die? That's a great question that, of course, I can't answer and no one can answer. But, you know, there are, you know, people do say in, in this research and, of course, throughout time 
that those those experiences, those transpersonal experiences within mystical states of awareness might be similar or might be a glimpse into what is consciousness following physical death. Of course, that's um, above my pay grade or any, any of ours, but that, that that's the intriguing factor of this, that people's fear of death is, is mitigated or erased for the sense that, I, you know, this, uh, that consciousness continues. Uh, amazing, and we see that again it? through religion. I mean, in Vedanta, Hinduism, you, you hear about the they call the kleshas, these kind of negative assumptions about the body being the only experience, and um, and, and that of course uh, triggers a fear of death. When the body dies, we die. Uh, but if there's an experience through meditation or a spiritual practice, or through entheogens, which we now call psychedelics, meaning the divine within, that whatever awareness is might continue, and I am that, I'm not solely this body, what a gift, what a profound change. So it's been very exciting from both a scientific perspective, and of course, as you're, you know, implicating here from a spiritual perspective. You know, in traditional indigenous shamanic um, initiations using psychedelics, the initiate often underwent years of preparation and training before the drug was in- introduced. Then the entire initiation was monitored and managed by a trained shaman. Do we need checks and balances in place while we're working with these practices? And if so, what are they? I think so, yes. The, the answer is yes. Um, so as you know, we're we're seeing an explosion of press and literature on psychedelics. And um, it's really important for us to continue to remind um, the public and that you know these studies are done in a very controlled setting. Um, as you appropriately mentioned, throughout history, they were done in a very carefully controlled monitored setting in indigenous culture with a shaman or, or a spiritual leader. Um, uh, in the 1950s and 60s, uh, there was this very controlled environment where trained therapists sat with the person taking the medicine. Uh, and there's very little interaction. Um, if the person needs help or assurance, we're there to gu- help them. Um, but we're trained uh, based upon the model from the 1960s, which is an incredible uh, body of literature, uh, to um, be very present um, and be there for the entire period. The needles were there. Um, uh, and, and it was careful. I mean, people taking these medicines on their own in a recreational setting, in a loud and noisy concert, you know, all bets are off as to what could happen. Um, we've had no serious adverse effects in our research. You can't say the same thing for people who do this recreationally. People can have negative experiences. So that we are talking about this carefully, uh, we'll call set and setting. Sets the set of the, the the mindset of the person. Setting is where it's done. Is is crucial. Crucial. It's hugely important, isn't it? And I mean, there's a reason there are those checks and balances in place. And now they have these ayahuasca tours. Sometimes you're with a real shaman, and sometimes you're just with an indigenous person that poses as one. Um, it's almost like a tourist attraction. And I've sure seen people come back from those kind of in a mess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a shame. And it does, you know, we're in a tenuous period in the research. Um, so, you know, as we said earlier, that this is FDA-approved research at various American medical schools and, and universities overseas, and we're moving ahead nicely with good findings, uh, clinical applications, uh, better understanding the phenomenology of these wild. Well, we're going to have to get on the better understandings, and I'm up okay. for that <laughs> uh, after this short pause. Anthony and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break. You stay right there. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. How would your life change if you could develop the business and personal skills that you need in order to make more money? Do you want to learn how to achieve your big life goals faster? Then go to findhiddenmoney.com and get the Goal For It online course. The course teaches you how you can set and achieve your biggest goals while completely overcoming the roadblocks to your goals so that you can realize your dreams and imagine more success. Go to findhiddenmoney.com. 
Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hides can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit IconQuality.com. Did you expect your business to flourish, but instead it plateaued or didn't get off the ground yet? Would you like to achieve massive goals and discover new sources of income within your business? When you're ready to experience that type of success with fast results, Cindy Hendricks is the business coach for you. Her work with entrepreneurs and business owners has been life-changing. To get you and your business where you want to be, go to imaginemoresuccess.com. Has the fear of public speaking stalled your business or personal life? What would you give to develop and maintain supreme confidence? Have an invaluable private program to always perform at your best. Imagine how you would feel. You can have all that and so much more today with Thomas Hyde's life-changing course called Number One Fear Unleashed. Visit Number One Fear. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Dot com and be liberated from your fear of public speaking. Welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show, missionevolution.org, bringing leading-edge information, supporting the path to enlightenment. We're speaking with Anthony P. Bossis, clinical psychologist and clinical assistant professor of psychiatry at NYU School of Medicine. His website, med.nyu.edu, slash faculty, slash Anthony, dash P, dash, dash Bossis. That's quite an, quite an email address there. <laughs> Anthony, um, I would like to get into, you know, you start, you brought up the uh, research that was done back, I think it was in the 60s on psychedelics. What, what can you tell us about that research? Thank you for asking us. I love talking about that period. It's really remarkable. Uh, and for many, it's, a, it's an untold story. They're not familiar with it. Um, so, you know, predating the 1960s countercultural use of psychedelics, which everyone knows about, and, and unfortunately uh, kind of cast somewhat of a, a, a negative spin on it um, through the sensationalism of, of the media, there was this rich period of research with these medicines um, that began in 1930s with the, well, the discovery of LSD by mistake from Albert Hoffman in Switzerland. And then in 1943, he ingested the medicine for the first time um, and realized what was happening. It is incredible molecule he'd invented, um, and how can we use this experience for to both advance our knowledge of consciousness um, and, to, and to apply to clinical suffering. Um, and then in the late 50s and early 60s began the, the large bodies of research with LSD, then psilocybin, um, looking at their, their efficacy in p- treating people with cancer who were dying, um, alcoholics, um, those were the two main clinical avenues to come out of the 60s. Uh, many people don't know that Bill Wilson, the founder of AA, uh, took LSD many times uh, and attributed it to his um, recalibrating his addiction and transcending that. Um, and the history is, is packed with fascinating people. Uh, Aldous Huxley, the great literary writer from England, um, was very much involved in the psychedelic early days, uh, writing about it, talking about it. It's, it's linked to this mystic core. Um, Alan Watts, who many people know from the 60s, spoke about it. Um, uh, Cary Grant, you know, of all people, right, very conventional actor in the 1960s, was very supportive and spoke publicly how it changed, saved his life. Um, he did LSD psychotherapy when it was still legal. Um, and he reported that it just changed how he lived. So, you know, it was a really rich history involving... Uh, theologians and researchers and um, uh, this very heady stuff and a lovely body of literature that you know tragically came to a stop in the in the 70s after Richard Nixon uh, passed an act uh, 
that made these medicines outside the reach, not only of the public, but also of researchers. Um, that, that's never been seen before in history, that a medicine that has promising clinical applications would be taken off the shelf for research because of a, a cultural um, problem, so to speak. Um, well, it was, it causing, like to, it, it was quite, a, quite a crisis going on then of belief, wasn't there? Well, there was, say again, I'm sorry? There was quite a crisis of belief, um, cultures clashing yeah. from the old yeah. um, religious standpoint and the new, more open-minded, as they call themselves, people that were taking the psychedelics. It was creating some social um, tension, wasn't it? It was, a, as you know, as we know, a very uh, robust social uh, storm, so to speak, um, and it, it was provocative for many people who were not familiar with these medicines. Um, they were being used um, inappropriately at times, um, and that, you know, escalated the sensationalism. So, you know, there's, there's some old stories going back that you know, many of the early researchers, Humphrey Osmond and some of these people, including Huxley, who wasn't a researcher but a, a supporter, wanted to keep this medicine within research. Their hope was keep it within research, keep it to the theologians, the religious leaders, maybe the musicians, and let it trickle down from you know, top down to the culture that we shouldn't unleash this onto the, onto the masses, so to speak. Um, and then, of course, we know what happened. It, it did get out of the laboratory um, and was used widely when it was still legal, by the way. Um, and yes, it was a, a clash of, of systems. Um, there were some political implications as well, which is why we think we have documentation, which is why Nixon, in part, did what he did. So, you know, very sad uh, that, it got, that the research, which was solid uh, and respected, got caught up in this social frenzy. And then for three decades, to have nothing happen in the research realm is just unheard of. It will be like today taking opiates off of the um, shelf because there's an abuse problem in the culture. Of course there is, but opiates are also incredible medicines that we use in healthcare. So um, thankfully, um, in the early 2000s, we returned. There's been a reemergence of the research, and now we're kind of experiencing what some are calling a renaissance in the research and in the literature, and we all hope it stays as is, and there's no further cultural blowback that could hurt the research, because it's really important, important um, implications. So uh, I want to get into a little bit about what does actually happen um, when, when you're taking psychedelics. Um, does it break up neurological pathways and ruts that have us hooked into a cycle of addiction? How does that work? A great question, and there isn't one answer. Um, uh, I'm not a neuroscientist. I, I work with the, the clinical aspects of it, so I'll leave the detailed um, discussion to the neuroscientist. But we don't know much, you know, in terms of the physiology. We know it, it acts along serotonergic pathways. Uh, it's an agonist. That's what's called a 5-H2 um, serotonergic receptor. So we, we know that. Um, now the and beyond that, we're just beginning to poke around. What else might it do? How might it affect you know, communication within the brain, and then, of course, after that, the mind. Um, but what we, we do know from a phenomenological perspective is that it does seem, well, it does, alter consciousness for a few hours into this broader transpersonal state. And that state, that the memories from that experience, that we're all connected, uh, that something may be beyond the body itself, seems to be the the mediating factors in helping people stop drinking, uh, stop being afraid of, of, of their death. Um, there's something about the experience, this profound emotional experience that seems to be life-changing. If there's some biological marker or a physiological component that's contributing to that, we don't fully know. We know it activates the state of awareness a little bit, um, but the medicine, again, is out of the body in six, seven hours. Right. Um, there was a, a very famous study in 1962 done called the Fr Good Friday Experiment um, at Marsh Chapel in Boston, where they gave psilocybin to young uh, students. Those students were, were followed up decades later, and they still reported that one experience as among the most meaningful spiritual experiences of their lifetime. Mm. Is is um, psilocybin? Is psilocybin addictive? It's not. 
Great question. It's actually, we think, the opposite. So and we know it's not addictive. It doesn't have the same um, reward systems being activated that other drugs or alcohol or other things do. Um, so that we, we know. I'm sorry, what's, enough, what's a reward system? Well, certain drugs activate dopaminergic parts of the brain uh, that, you know, the old, when you were in college, the, 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 the rat hitting the lever for more and more of the drug, they'll want more of that, that experience. Uh, this doesn't activate those systems. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. But, but it, what, what, remarkably, there's been large life surveys of, of thousands of people, and now we're seeing some evidence people who use psychedelics may have a, a lower uh, prevalence of addiction. So that might be remarkable. Some are saying it might have an anti-addiction component. That's yet to be seen, uh, but that's remarkable. But no, it's not addictive. Um, and usually one experience, and you know, these powerful experiences people are having, you don't want to have it the next day anyway. They're very... Um, uh, you know, complex, and I mean, we could talk about them in a second. Yeah, that was that was going to be my next question: is if you start doing psychedelics a lot, do you start having difficulty uh, telling ordinary from rea- reality from altered states? Well, in the experience, you would, of course, it's a profoundly altered state. Um, we don't recommend people using these regularly. We use them once. Um, the great Alan Watts has a great quote where he says regarding psychedelic use: when you get the message. Hang up the phone. <laughs> His implication yeah. was, when you, when you, you know, you, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's not the kind of drug people take over and over. If they do, clearly it's, it's potentially misusing that. Uh, in all the research, it's one or two doses. Um, and the same throughout history in indigenous cultures. It wasn't used every day. Um, so could someone abuse that? And, uh, of course. And, and, again, we screen carefully for prior medical and psychiatric disorders or some things are exclusionary for the research. Yeah, it could be uh, a little destabilizing with, if you're not pretty pretty solid, right? Right. So someone with a psychotic spectrum history or the history or a family history of psychosis or schizophrenia, we wouldn't want to put this medication on board because it might uh, trigger a dormant experience like that. So um, there's careful screening. Speaking again to why we have safety uh, and people taking this out in the culture don't have that those same parameters. Yeah, and that that is there therein lies. <laughs> you know, where yeah. where where do you where do you put this stuff? It's it's a question yeah. for, you know, for society answer, not you and I, obviously. Um, um, we're just about to go into a, another break here, but on the other side, I'd really like to get into the medical benefits that we're starting to, you're starting to uncover. I understand there are a few. Yes. Great. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. So we do need to take another quick break. Anthony and I will be back shortly to discuss the medical benefits of psilocybin. Don't leave us now. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. We'll be back. Don't go away. President of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com.
They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. Christopher Fulton is a survivor of the National Security State. All he wanted to do was preserve history when he acquired a Cartier watch from the estate of President Kennedy's personal secretary. But that simple act set off a terrible chain reaction. He was pursued by the U.S. Justice Department and the FBI, thrust into the middle of the U.S. government's Assassination Records Review Board, even monitored and pursued by the Russian government. All because that Cartier watch was the missing link of evidence, a timepiece worn by JFK that fateful day in Dallas, a link resulting in Christopher being incarcerated and attacked for nine years because he opened a hidden chapter in history. The intriguing journey outlined fully in Christopher Fulton's memoir, The Inheritance, is available now through trinday.com or amazon.com. The Inheritance, Poisoned Fruit of JFK's Assassination by Christopher and Michelle Fulton is a must-read, an incredible tale of how easily our own government can overrule justice. The Inheritance, Poisoned Fruit of JFK's Assassination. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. To suggest a topic or guest, email us at info at missionevolution.org. Our guest this hour is Anthony P. Bossis, clinical psychologist and clinical assistant professor of psychiatry at NYU School of Medicine. His website, are you ready for this? med.nyu.eud slash faculty slash Anthony dash P dash bosses. As promised, Anthony, we were going to get into what you guys are finding out over there about the medical benefits of psilocybin. Great. Thank you. And this is really important, of course. Um, so on one side of the coin is its profound implications for understanding what is consciousness, but really importantly is how we're applying this medically. So I'll run through some of the applications. So quickly, the two most researched ones so far have been, as I mentioned earlier, with addiction, um, specifically alcoholism, and anxiety and depression that can accompany an end-of-life or a terminal diagnosis. Um, those, those two avenues began back in the 60s and continue today. Our research with end-of-life uh, and cancer anxiety has been just stunning. Um, so one road is to continue that, and hopefully these medicines, or psilocybin specifically, can be used, can be rescheduled by the FDA to be used legally with people who are dying and have you know, crippling uh, distress, which is very common. The other one is addiction. Uh, there are alcohol studies going on now at NYU. Um, uh, Dr. Michael Bogachus is heading that study. Could these medicines be used down the road to treat addiction, alcoholism? Can they be used in the use of, uh, in the treatment of opiate addiction? We're seeing studies begin with depression. Can this incredible experience, this spiritual experience, help mitigate the symptoms of depression, which of course is an epidemic in this country? In the last year, we saw the mortality rate go down for the second year in a row because of two factors, suicide and opiate addiction. So both, of course, linked often to depression. So um, the, the, the promise of these medicines, uh, of this treatment can be can be a can be a lot. Um, you know, PTSD. Uh, there's a compound called MDMA, which is not psilocybin, um, that's being used to treat uh, Iraqi veterans and other people with traumatic histories who have post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, so there's just a, a number of possibilities, and we get inquiries all the time. Could it treat this disorder? Could it treat this mode of suffering? Um, 
which is remarkable because that would be an incredible part of the story. Not only are these medicines interesting in terms of you know, activating the state of awareness called peak experience or mystical experience, but can they help heal? And what I'm struck by is that the healing is not taking place only because of the medicine. Again, it's the experience and awareness that's healing. So somehow we're wired for this almost self-healing experience through what we already have in the mind, but that's activated by this medicine. So it's very exciting, PTSD, depression, end-of-life anxiety, addiction, um, and other other applications are coming up. So it's really an exciting time for, for the research. It's amazing. And, and, you know, as you speak, it seems like uh, the thing I'm seeing in common here is, you know, we're starting to study more and more and more about the unified field and how we there is a place in this transcendent um, state where we are unified with all that is. And it makes sense how that would relieve uh, the isolation and depression and, and everything. Can you speak to that just a little bit? Well, that's that's the big one. Uh, you you said it beautifully. So that that I think is you know, and that of course as, as a scientist, it's hard to measure so uh, quantitatively. But that you know, we think is as part of this healing, so to speak, or, or this um, these results we see. People are experiencing what you just said that we're all connected. That um, you know, this transcendent function, this transcendent experience. Uh, of human consciousness that again the major religions speak about as the foundation of of consciousness and within that field that experience people's isolation both physically and of course interpersonally um, is greatly changed uh, and that what we think is bringing about change in, in all these different clinical applications that's a profound uh, shift. It even has, as some have written, pro-social and pro-ethical implications. Meaning, if you know a vast majority of humans had the experience that um, we're all connected, that you and I are separate is a bit of an illusion. Um, you know, how do we hurt one another? So, you know, is mystical experience and this kind of awareness, putting aside the medicine even for a second, the, the experience, is that in many ways? You know, tied to our get along as a species, the survival of a species. Um, you know, we live in very precarious times today, as you know, and uh, there's an increasing sense of division and isolation. Um, the social, digital, you know, materialistic world, while incredibly um, powerful and important, has not led to increased happiness, it seems. So, you know, is there a time for a turn back to this meaning-making, transcendent experience that we see in spiritual practice, in spiritual journeys, in the core of the major religions? Um, and in this research, what seems to happen within these, these medicines, and we'll have to see where this goes, but it raises incredible cultural implications. Amazing. So a little different question here. What about ESP? Um, has has studies been done about parapsychology and these substances? I'm not aware of any. Great question. Um, I am not aware of anything with that. But I will say, you reminded me to mention um, near-death experiences, NDEs. <laughs> um, you know, people who've had those experiences who were on a surgical table, had died, were clinically dead, and then had regained consciousness, that's been studied in science. And they report experiences similar to this. Yeah, very similar, which isn't I find, it? Well, very, very similar. It mirrors it, actually, which is striking because, again, what are we talking about? Is that a glimpse into consciousness beyond physical physicality? Um, why are they similar? Is that a glimpse into uh, what happens upon physical death? Um, and again, it talk about love. We didn't mention love today. I want to get that in real quick here. You know, one of the common themes mentioned throughout all the research, current research, 1960s, and the near-death experiences, is people talking about love being this overwhelming experience, not only of loving kindness towards self or towards others, but of what I like to use the Greek word agape, of a sense of that the ground of being, to kind of quote Paul Tillich, um, is comprised of molecules or a substance or an energy called love. Uh, and we get that a lot. Um, so here we are scientists trying to you know, quantify what are the main agents of change, and you have people telling you because it's all love. And if you experience that love, um, then everything has changed. And that, that is just, 
And we hear that over and over again. And of course, we see that at the foundations of our great religions. So absolutely, yes. There's so much here to uh, to, to go down and explore. Yeah, it's just amazing that that flow of love that moves through all things is the unified field, is it not? Well, um, I, I can't typically say that it is, but personally, yes, I think that's what we hear, and that's what it seems to be, that this divine sense of ground um, is love. Uh, and again, you see that everywhere, and you hear it from these patients over and over, that love is the energy that's kind of the ground of being. Um, and if you're aware of that, it does change the whole thing. So, um, yep. <laughs> there we have it. So what's, what's, what's the ideal future for the role of psychedelics in modern medicine and healthcare? Great. Perfect. Thank you. So ideally, uh, in the perfect world here, um, which is, it, of course, happening, um, but that you know, within five, ten years, that some of these medicines, in this case psilocybin, is rescheduled, meaning it's allowed for certain medical applications. Um, and one might be end-of-life suffering. So the way we envision this, could there be specialized centers that people go to, have trained guides work with them, have a session or two with the medicine, including preparation and integration, which is crucial, um, and then return to their home? Could we have regulated centers for PTSD, depression, anxiety, end of life? Um, that's how it would look. I would never want this to be re, re, you know, legalized where people just go to their corner and buy that. That wouldn't make sense. These are very um, you know, profoundly mind-altering uh, uh, compounds. Um, well, yeah, you know, in the indigenous uh, tribes, it's bu- they're viewed as sacred uh, um, medicines, plant medicines, and to, to just treat them casually is like a, a desecration. Well, I agree. I mean, they call them sacraments. Um, and uh, we really, you know, piggyback that kind of that kind of feeling um, that they shouldn't be out in the streets because I, you know, we're, in many ways we're a spiritually, you know, immature culture. Um, so, you know, could everyone be doing? No, it would have to be done in controlled settings, like they did it in the indigenous cultures, and they were doing in the research. But could there be many centers where trained guides are helping people? Yes, and that that's how it would look. So, within five, ten years. 15 years, hopefully increased um, FDA approval uh, and then legalization for, again, clinical applications. Uh, and we'll see where it goes from there, but it's a very exciting time um, regarding is, the medicine. And, and more is. importantly, again, regarding this part of awareness. It is an exciting time, and uh, as always, time has flown, and now we're out of it. Anthony, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I, re- I really enjoyed our conversation. It was a real pleasure. Our guest this hour is Anthony P. Bossis, clinical psychologist and clinical assistant professor of psychiatry at NYU School of Medicine. Anthony is conducting FDA-approved psychedelic research investigating the effects of psilocybin. His website, med.nyu.edu slash faculty slash Anthony dash P dash Bossis. For our amazing past episode collection, visit our website, www.missionevolution.org. This has been Mission Evolution Radio Show with Wilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to an evolving world. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide.
They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simultv, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simultv. Simultv offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today.